and welcome to PodRocket, a web development podcast brought to you by LogRocket. LogRocket helps software teams improve user experience with session replay, error tracking, and product analytics. You can try it free at LogRocket.com. I'm Noel, and today we have Eduardo San Martin Morote, a Vue.js core team member and creator of Pina, here to talk about Pina and his new course, Mastering Pina. Welcome, Eduardo. I know. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat today. This is probably one that big view people probably know what's going on here, but maybe those that aren't using view day to day and stuff might not know what's been going on in the view store space. For those who don't know, those kind of outside the ecosystem or aren't using view and don't know about Pina, can you just contextualize a little bit for us? Tell us what problem it solves and its origin. It solves um, the problem of global state management or state management in general, because usually that's global. It's UX. Five, if people have heard of that before, it had a different name because I came up with the idea before Vuex5 was a thing, and then we decided to keep that name. But I think that was for the best because now search results are segregated, right? So it's very easy to find information, topics, articles, videos for each of one because the API is completely different. So that would have been a mess. I think it's a bit like when you search for Angular and AngularJS at the beginning of Angular 2, it was a bit hard to actually get the right content. Yeah, I think the best way to see Pina is for Vue developers to have a way to define composables, which will be any stateful logic that you can define that is using components or across your application. But instead of being just stateful logic that you can reuse, it's a global stateful logic. So it's like a singleton of stateful logics. Mm. I think that should make more sense even for people who don't know about Vue. Yeah, I think so. People in the front end space that had to solve this problem before. Yeah, tell me more about the evolution, the Vuex Pina kind of dichotomy. Like, why was there a need for a transition to something different, even if it was just a natural evolution? So, Vuex came out a long time ago. I don't have the date, but it was at the time where TypeScript wasn't that strong. There was also Flow, and we had even the Vue.js core code base written in Flow at some point. And so the way it was designed, even Vue itself, didn't have help written in mind. So some of the things are just not type inferable, and it doesn't work out of the box. Now, when you work with TypeScript, you want to have as much as possible just infer the types so that everything works without having to create your own interfaces with your own generics. That's when you know you're getting a bit complicated right, in the working space. So with the frustration of having to deal with TypeScript, once it became more popular with Vuex, I thought there has to be a way to make this type safe that is more appropriate. And there was also the Composition API that appeared at the time. So Vue 3 wasn't even out, but the Composition API was out for testing in a way. It was the RFC was out. There was a library that allowed you to do it for Vue 2 projects. So I thought, why not? try and create a library that is state management and rethink the whole thing. So I give myself ground to start from scratch and take new decisions in terms of architecture, defining those stores, and just see where it goes. So the first version was about four years ago. I think it was the 18th of November. Is there any reason to start using PX now, or is like Pina just the de facto? Pina has become the de facto. I wouldn't use UX for a new project. Gotcha. Was there any contention at all? Was there any pushback on like, hey, maybe we should just make this the new version of UX versus becoming like a 
a different name or was that a pretty seamless transition? I think it was actually very seamless. People were very happy about the change. The frustration was real in the ecosystem. I think some people said it would be better to rename it Vuex or were more like confused. Mm -hmm. There were some confusion, like why not rename it Vuex? But there was no pushback from the community. I think that once you tell them, now you have the results segregated, they're like, oh yeah, that's a very good <laughs> thing to have. Yeah, I feel like Vue's problem in the transition to the Composition API, even like React is facing this problem now, is especially for beginners, right? If they don't know the difference, it's hard to always search for things. You're finding old answers on Stack Overflow and things that are like, oh, this isn't even relevant to the Composition API, so it doesn't matter. So there is definitely a huge bonus to this cut dry, like this is the name for the new way. And you noted there that like the API is totally different in Pina. I would say it's pretty different, but it's conceptually not like a huge departure. Like if you're familiar with Vuex, it's not like you're yeah. stepping into something totally foreign or unknown. What motivated you to feel the need to write a course to help people with the transition or help people jump in if they weren't familiar? So there are multiple things, right? There is the financial part, of course, about writing a course. It's more about the need of find myself as an open source <laughs> developer that I don't have that much income or I don't have a salary that I can rely on to get a loan if I want to buy a house. So I get to a point where having a baby and I'm probably buying a house would be a natural checkpoint. Yeah. Next step. Yeah. Life. Next step. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but I do that without a salary. So I either get to work for a company, which I could too, but I really enjoy what I do in open source and I would like to avoid that. Or I try to provide value that people are willing to pay for instead of just open source. And usually courses are a good way because I do have the knowledge. I already do workshops, even remote workshops in view. And I think it's a good way for me to also give content that I've seen nowhere on the internet, right? Because the things I talk in this course go from some of the basics, but also with the reasoning of some of the features. So you won't find that in any other video, any tutorial about Pina. It's not something that I can explain or it's worth explaining that much in docs. But in a video, I can go deeper and just take the time to explain some reasoning behind some APIs. And also it goes pretty further. So it explains a lot about the Composition API and how to take advantage of that for your applications. In the end, the course is actually not just about Pina, but I realized that a little bit later, it's a lot about Vue itself too, because given how you write uh, what we call setup stores in Pina, which are pretty much just composables, which is why I was saying the composable part before, it also gives you a lot of instructions on how to keep composables maintainable. I feel like a lot of at least well-structured courses, if they're not just going over the things that are readily available in the docs, there's not much there. And it tends to be the case that they are talking more at that like integration into the larger ecosystem. This is why these APIs exist this way. This is what I was thinking about. This is how it enables you to structure your projects more cleanly and reason over them and have fewer bugs. On that note, is the course recommended for people that are just getting started or would you recommend people go in and do their hello world, get their feet wet a little bit with Pina before they jump in? So it's fine if they are getting started with Pina itself. So if they have experience building Vue.js, it's fine because we don't go through the basics of Vue.js itself. Mm. I'd expect people with some Vue.js experience, so not just beginners in Vue.js, but they can be beginners in Pina. It's just that the beginner part in Pina, the course is pretty small. For sure. You get the, the basics and the Pina core itself, it's pretty simple. So we get into 
more complex things really quick. And every time during the course, even during the basic course, the basic lessons, if I can go a little bit deeper into some topics, I will. So maybe that part can feel alienating sometimes for some people, but I think that's fine. I think that if you put that course into combination with documentation, it should feel um, fine for Pina beginners. Gotcha. <laughs> more challenging than just another course, but going so much further, they're going to learn so much more that I think it's still worth <laughs> You mentioned composability being a pretty big factor here in Pina or something that you think about a lot. But I think to discuss that, we need to maybe just set this up a little bit for people who aren't familiar with the structure of Pina, like the pillars. Can you talk a little bit about actions, getters, setters, just the typical interface devs are using to update and fetch data from the store? So the typical structure is we have three things in Pina, and there were four in Vuex. And actually, they just come from Vuex. It's more about having familiarities with the Vuex, mm. not only wording, but also organization. Now, the thing is, it doesn't force you to write them like that. It's just that they are organized that way, and they are used with these names in head. So in mind, sorry, like state, getters, and actions, so that you can communicate about that too. You can talk about it. I differentiate them from components. And just so for plugins as well, so then you know that an action is a function of the store, a getter is a computer property of the store, and state is just refs and reactive of the store. Mm -hmm. So usually what you want to do is state should be anything that is reactive. And the thing is then we get into the complicated part of are we doing single page application or not? Are we doing SSR? So server-side rendered applications. We have to keep in mind a lot of things because one of the ideas of UX or Pina is to also serialize the state from the server to the client so that when your page renders on the client after it has been processed on the server, you have the data that was fetched or imputed on server. It should render. So anything that is non-serializable, it should ideally not go into a store mm. unless your application has, or that part of the application, because you can have hybrid applications, unless you have no intention to server-side render. For example, very heavy um, client-side applications or WebSocket stuff, because it does give you a way to put the thing in a global state, for example, WebSockets in a game or any collaborating uh, application, but you will not be able to server-side render the state if it contains like class instances, for example. But for NSPay, that's completely fine. <laughs> right. That's to, take in, in, to keep in consideration. How do you cleanly just articulate this idea to developers, especially newer developers who are getting into the space that there's like, there is data that we can easily serialize and transfer over the wire in a store, but you have to be careful because there's stuff you can put in the store technically that might be a good idea to put in the store in certain instances, but we can't do SSR. And so like, is there a clean narrative or way to articulate that to people? Yes. I do spend some time giving examples when I talk about it in workshops, because just the fact that you have to think about these two different cases, uh, which I think it's fine in the current era of web development. Uh, because you do get some improvement, some benefits from doing SSR, but you also have to pay servers for all that, so you don't want to do it with every page. So the easy version is if it's fetch in the server, it should be serializable. Usually that's fine because it comes from a fetch, right? Yeah. It's already that way. The thing is you don't need to return things that are not meant to be transferred from the server to the client. In a way, you could think about it 
as a implementation detail. So I don't like to talk about it too much. It shouldn't be a concern, right? But at the same time, you have to as soon as you do SSR. So usually when I do the courses, I get to a point when I'm like, okay, let's talk about SSR <laughs> and the problems it brings. And that's when I introduce the complexity and explain everything. Because it's easier to just tell them, you just not tell anything. You don't say anything. You can do anything you want in the state. And then when you go to the SSR, you're like, okay, but wait, there's actually a problem here. Yeah. And then you get into the explaining the actual details of why, so non-serializable versus serializable. And just give them an example. Even you can show what happens if you do. And usually that sticks into your head very easily. So going back to the three pillars of Pina, someone who hasn't been paying attention for a while or is just thinking about this, maybe like comparing this and thinking like, oh, well, what about mutations? They were a Vuex user. Mutations made sense to them because they're like, oh, if I had things that multiple components were doing that it was a, is a clean place for me to put shared logic that affected the state. What what kind of went into the decision to not have that be part of Pina in the same way that it was with Vuex? All the projects I consulted for and in question on Discord, limitations were always perceived as verbose with all these uppercase, very often reaching uppercase. It wasn't necessary, but <laughs> it was often that way. And at the end, it was also for the traceability. You could have in-depth tools at the time, mm -hmm. but with the proxies, with Vue, we do get a very precise traceability of, of the objects and the mutations. By mutation, I really mean in the large sense, so mutating an object in JavaScript. Yeah. So that allows you to really mutate the state anywhere. For example, use a state property in a vmodo which was one of the pain points, like very common pain point, right? Using the state property from a Vuex store. You had to use a computer property with a getter that yeah. would just read the state and a setter that would commit to change the state. And it was just so verbose. You had to write all these mutations. Very often you find yourself writing a mutation for each state. It was rare to have mutations that contain logic or to put it in a better way, it was rare to have both a mutation that were just changing the state and another one that was actually doing interesting things because mutations were also sync. So that's why you had actions that could be asynchronous and had to still commit mutations. So it was also verbose within the actions. Right, right. And then I think that you can write that in actions when it makes sense. So when you have a business meaning, and you can see the stores are services as well. So a way to group that logic around some business domain, you can put multiple mutations of state within an action and it's no trouble. You can still make synchronous operations within the actions. So in that regard, the mutations and actions became one if you go from Vuex to Pina, but we still allow you to modify the state directly outside of stores. Now there are ways to make the state read-only. It's a bit more complex than it could be. And I actually talk about this in the mastering Pina. And I think I have some free articles online where I just show the actual codes People can just find that too. <laughs> yeah, there's probably valid arguments for it, it to be like much more locked down and traceable and stuff for some dev flows. But I think it is easy to justify that. And I think anyone that used, like you said, like in any projects you were consulting on or pe people that had just been using it for a while felt this phenomenon where it was like, it doesn't really help me to have these two things separated all the time. Like one of them is basically always calling the other. If we could just have these be one thing and I wouldn't have to have all this just wiring code that's just going through the motions. Um, I think that is a common observation. So let's talk about composability a little bit and how it has obviously changed in the greater view ecosystem, but specifically what does Pina empower on the composability front? So initially the Pina stores were actually just optional stores. So 
an object with state function that returns an object with the initial state, then an object of getters, which are just computer properties, exactly like the computed object in a view component, mm -hmm. because you get the state as the first argument, and you can use these if you want to refer to other computer properties. And then the actions, which is pretty much methods, right? Like in component methods, because instead of having fixed arguments, like in Vuex, you have a context with the commit and the payload and all this stuff. These are just functions that you define however you like. So you add the arguments that you need and you set the return type that you need to. So later on with the composition API, some people were proposing uh, talking about, and also with the um, Vuex RFC with Kia and other team members, we were exploring other possibilities and we were using more and more composables, like dog fooding the, the, our own APIs, right? And so discovering more and more the, the power of this pattern. So some people were saying, we were multiple ones saying that, oh, we could just have a function and return the things like in components and that would be the store. And so at some point I implemented that uh, to give myself a lot of freedom. But I think at that time, I wasn't that confident on that concept. And it's only after playing a lot with it and seeing how powerful it is. I think also a few features that we introduced in Vue that improved that. Yep. It's only then that I realized how powerful the setup stores are compared to the option stores. And especially if you try to see Pinya stores, not just as stores, but as composable singletons, which, as I said before, allows you to have global stateful logic instead of stateful logic. And if you see them that way, you can also use the stores within regular composables. So you use the store as a way to handle the global state. It's also tracked in DevTools and stuff and handles SSR. But you can put within the composable logic that is specific to a component, things that happens only client-side, focusing the window, any global events that you have, but also local events that you have. And you can configure some of the things too on the composable. You can pass arguments to the composable. So you can still have the logic within the store, for example, to handle a collection of projects and then individually handle some stuff of the projects and then have a composable that individually handle one project maybe. Or all the things I've used it are for data fetching, for example. You can have things that are specific to the data fetching mechanism, like when to refetch, adding the on-server prefetch so it handles SSR as well. That will be a regular composable. But then you have a store that is storing all the information and that way it also handles SSR. You can call functions of the store within the composable, like ensuring a cache entry, for example. And so you have patterns that are created this way that are not possible otherwise because you don't have the global part. I think to most listeners, that makes sense. But someone that had been using Vuex for a while or something, they're probably sitting there thinking like, I could do most of that with Vuex or figure out a way to make it work. It might not have been totally the intent. Is there something specific in the API or how Pina works under the hood that makes this composability easier to think about and reason over than the prior iterations of state management? The first one is uh, Vuex has a root store. So you have one composable that is use store, and then you get access to the root store. And then inside you can have namespace stores. And so these are extra concepts that you don't even think about when you're using Pina because they are baked into the way you define stores. So it's not only the namespacing of stores, but also the dynamic modules. That's what they call it in, in Vuex. So basically, it adds to the code splitting better, right? Those stores can be code splitted that way with pages. So if you have a page that uses a few stores and 
those stores are not using any other page. And if you are using lazy imports at your router level, which you should probably be doing, and if you're using Next, it's already the case, then the store code will be with that page chunk. And that wasn't the case for Vuex because the way you define the store and then how you associate every other module, which is just a substore to the root store, make it always go into the main chunk. Yep. So a little bit of waste. So that part is already pretty nice, especially for bigger apps. But also, since you have these namespace stores, you have to use the main store and get access to the different part to interact with it. Definitely not as natural as just uh, one object, what you call methods on a read state from. From the outside, when you use a composable that is returned by Pina, it's just an object, right? But in Vuex, you have all these layer of how to interact with the store that is not there with Pina. Anyone who has used a large UX project has probably encountered this problem and knows that pain point of trying to navigate it and figure out exactly, you know, put these really long paths of, oh, it's like this child, this complex tree, maybe is a cleaner way to put it. And with composability, that always feels a little bit more natural. How does this affect testing your components and those that utilize stores or even testing stores directly? I think it doesn't affect that much. Except for the fact that you write less code, right? Because you, you have to write less code to interact with the store itself. I did write the test utils for Vuex. It was like Vuex mock store, I think. So that was my package too. And it was a way to mock the store within components. So usually if you test your stores, you don't need to test them again in your components. Mm-hmm. Now, depending, of course, at what level of testing you are in your application, because you could always just do integration test if you didn't have any other tests first. But basically, that allows you to just set the state and just verify that actions are called, and then your component should render something. So that way you bypass completely the store. And Pina now also has the a testing library that goes by the same principles. If you're testing components, you can bypass the store completely. You can even overwrite getters by just setting a variable in a special store instance. So the cool thing is you only need to create what we call a testing pinia. So that will be like the root store, except it's not a store, but it's what connects every store. And so instead of having a regular pinia, you have a testing pinia. And that one gives you access to spies and other kind of mocking features that are really nice in testing. Were there a lot of people acutely asking for that, or was that just something that you felt you knew would be useful? Yeah, I felt it would be useful. I think that I saw the NPM download count of the Vuex mock store. That wasn't too bad. And it's something I would just use myself, actually. Are there any other plugins out there, even like for not just for testing, but for production at large, or just ease development or anything for Pina that you've been either working on or have been keeping an eye on? There isn't that many things. I think the plugin uh, space itself is very niche. Now, I made it flexible enough to completely encapsulate the dev tools within a plugin. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So it shows how powerful it can be. But you, you can augment options. You can make so many things. Yet, I don't think in practice you need them too much. It's more for bigger applications, I think. And I haven't seen a lot of very interesting plugins. It's very niche. I've seen like local storage things, but you can do it without because you can just use composable within setup stores. So it's very straightforward. And I have these demo plugin, which is called Debounce. So it allows you to debounce actions. Very simple. Again, in setup stores, you don't need them because you can just rely on the way you write things in composables, but it still works with setup stores too. Yeah, like, that isn't that surprising an answer to me, I don't think. I can't recall 
Vuex plugins. Yeah, a huge use for Vuex <laughs> plugins most of the time. I'm sure there's these cases I'm forgetting, but yeah, stuff like local store debouncing. Those things make sense, but yeah, it does seem pretty bespoke kind of niche. What do you think the future looks like for Pina? Like what's on the roadmap or what changes are you thinking about? How about a few ideas that are more correlated to improve the global aspect of some staff related to SSR, like adding global on-server prefetch, and that could be used within Pina stores. Some improvements on the dev tools. The main idea is really to keep things as stable as possible, right? We really want to have things stable. Since the Composition API is so, so flexible. There isn't that much to add. There are a few things that could be added to setup stores by having a parameter in the function. There are a few smart things that could be done that way, but I don't want to break how people write their stores. So it's mostly dev improvements that I'm thinking of, right? When it comes to what could arrive to Pina. That makes sense. Oh, Slim plugin. Ah. Slim plugin is one of them, right? I never found the time to write one of them. What's the difficulty there? Why is that challenging? A few things. Lack of time. <laughs> I mean, I haven't written a ES plugin before, a ESLink plugin before, but there are a few things that are, could be covered by ESLink plugins. For example, uh, people like that old no state mutations outside of actions. So you could do that with a plugin. And right now, well, there are other ways of doing it, but with TypeScript. That could be useful. How I'm thinking about this is it may be a testament to, again, like how parameterized the function of these storage plugins are. It's okay, this is what we need them to do. They don't really need to do anything else. If they're doing this well, we've probably accomplished the goal. It's cool to hear that you uh, are feeling pretty confident in it. Do you think, a tricky question to ask, but I imagine that was a similar feeling with Vuex early in its life cycles. Okay, this feels pretty good. I don't see this changing anytime soon. Do you think that if anything, there's any kind of fundamental decisions or ways in which Pena's APIs work that could maybe need changed in the future? There could be things. If you ever improve, imagine in view things change. So for performance, maybe there could be things about reactivity that change. And maybe you get access in the setup stores to the ref, like to a way to declare the state, stuff like that. I could, this is some ideas I had in the beginning, but I was like, it's just easier and natural to import ref. And also the problem with that approach is more about external composables, right? If you use a composable within the store, then the ref still comes from view. So you have to have both work. Unless there are fundamental changes in the way we make things in view, PNA shouldn't change. So it should come along, right? Yeah. Circling way back to the SSR difficulties that we were talking about before, do you think there's anything there that could give us some different fundamental primitives in how we think about web apps that might change how we interact with stores? If you look at the ecosystem, you have React server-side streaming. Mm -hmm. Now, in practice, if you do that kind of thing, like server-side rendering streaming, people sometimes just see the demos and like, oh, wow, this is great. You get the page shell right before like, so it looks so fast. Right. But they forget that then they have to pay a bill for that too. Mm -hmm. So you probably don't want to do that for most of your pages. Like it's very simple to have a version that costs zero in terms of computing, which is just server-side generate the shell and then just client-side fetches. Yeah. It's a little bit slower. And I really mean little. It's less than, it depends on how long it takes to render the page, but the difference is really small. It's under, I think, 50 milliseconds. I remember I tested something. So unless something like that changes, but even then, I don't think it will invalidate how you write the store. Yeah. The thing is, 
Pina composables, the way you write setup stores are so close to the way you write view composables. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't change, right? That's also one of my goals. Like I want to keep these as close as possible to view way of doing things so that you're also learning how to write things in view. And that knowledge is really never wasted unless view changes. But then if view changes, then it makes sense to change Pina. I don't think we foresee that yet. <laughs> it's too hard to say. I'm totally with you. I'm setting up with tricky questions here. So no, I think that's it's, no, it's good. It's good. It's a totally valid answer. Cool. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on or mention or even just point listeners to to have people check out? Apart from like my course, Master Infinia, I don't think that there is much. We'll get a link in the show notes to that for sure. Uh, yeah, if they're interested in learning more with a lot of exercise, hands-on exercises, Master Infinia. Cool. Thank you so much for chatting with me today, Eduardo. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Of course. <laughs> of course. Take it easy.